0: If you have your Bible tonight, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you of what we've been talking about for the last couple of Sundays together, Sunday morning and Sunday night, and that is we've been looking at what I've entitled a biblical framework for evangelism. It's important as we think about these things, because sometimes there can be the impression that when it comes to evangelism, it somewhat can be like the wild, wild west. Just chaos and anything goes. That's simply just not the case as we open up God's Word and the things that we've been considering together. This is now our fifth sermon on this topic. And as we've addressed this topic, we have looked into God's Word to let God's Word inform us about evangelism. And what we have seen is that when we mean evangelism, we're just speaking about we as saved sinners, the beggars who have come to know the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we just go out to to tell beggars, the, the others who are in need of Christ, who is the one who is the bread of life. We have seen that it is our mandate. If we're Christians, we have been called to be fishermen, to be fishers of men. We know that we're supposed to go. And we know we go with a motivation that is to be led by love and by fear. Ultimately by a love for the glory of God, the glory of Christ, a love for Christ himself, a love for lost sinners. We go out of fear a, a fear in the sense of knowing one day we will have to stand before God to give an account for our life. And if we've been mandated to do this, one of the things that we will be evaluated on is our fulfilling this mandate. But also a fear for the unbeliever. Because sadly, too many unbelievers are ignorant of God and of His wrath and, and to see and to think about that they stand under the wrath of God. And we know what the wrath of God means for them. We know what it means for someone to die without Christ. We know that that means they go to hell. We know that that means they will go to the eternal lake of fire. But we've also seen, when we're thinking about evangelism, our mission. Our mission is to make disciples. That is, we're to see people coming to Christ but to become a follower of Christ. We're not there to get someone to make a decision. We're there to get them to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we've seen the ministry that is involved with that. If we recognize our mission is to make disciples, then we want to evangelize in such a way that we're going to help that person who comes to Christ genuinely to become baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then to be taught the Word of God and to grow in grace and grow in their understanding of God's Word. And as we do this, we have seen that our message is God's message. This is God's gospel. And we don't have the right to tamper with it. And so we come and we proclaim the person of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the provision of Christ. And we even proclaim the path that Christ has given us of repentant faith, of coming to him. And as we do this, we trust in the means that are available to us. And those means are very simple. They're twofold. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so we go out trusting in those means and we do the methods that God has given us and the methods are twofold as well. Prayer and proclamation. And we make sure that as we do this we have the right kind of marriages with those that we join with. We have the right kind of understanding in regards to the measurement of our evangelism. I bring that all back to your attention because as we carry out this evangelism, tonight I want us to think about what I call the the mediums of our evangelism. By mediums I mean the avenues that we will see in scripture that are given for how it is that we, we see them evangelizing, we see them proclaiming the gospel. And there's four different avenues we're going to consider tonight, four different mediums. The first one is I call it's through the meal. We evangelize through the meal. You say, what meal? Well, through the Lord's Supper. That's why I had you turn here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Brother, when you look at the early church, the early church would come together to break bread and to have fellowship and enjoy and meal together, but a part of that would be the actual partaking of communion, the partaking of the Lord's Supper at the Lord's table. And we see it here where in verse 17, he's giving these instructions and he's not praising them because you're coming together and it's not for the better, but for the worse because there's some division among them. And a part of this division is manifesting itself there in verse 20, where he says, therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then he gives them the instructions about the Lord's Supper. And just so you know, here in a couple of weeks on a Sunday morning, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And and when we do, we're going to come back to this passage and we're going to walk through this passage together to better understand what it is we're doing when we come to partake of the bread and to partake of the cup. But what I want you to see is something Paul has to say here. In Verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now notice what he says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You see, you are proclaiming Jesus' death. This is an aspect even of evangelism that we are evangelizing when we come to take of the Lord's table because one the gospel is going to be talked about when we come to the Lord's table when the, not just what we're going to say but what we're actually going to see the very Symbols that are there before us, the bread and the cup, and they representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and what it is that he accomplished for us. So every time, beloved, we gather together as a church and we join together around the Lord's table, I want you to recognize you are participating in the proclaiming of the Lord's death and what a valuable tool it is and i would encourage you even as parents to use this as a as a tool to talk with your children so they understand the gospel this is what paul one of the things he's saying that as often as you drink it you eat and you drink the cup you're proclaiming his death you're proclaiming the gospel so one of the avenues that we see here, the mediums that they had for evangelizing was through what I call the meal. But secondly, they also did it through what I call their media. The media of their day. And their media was very simple. They, their media was by mouth primarily. They would pass it on from one to the other. It was by word of mouth. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. We see this with the apostles in the book of Acts that as they were going about and doing miracles and doing ministry and proclaiming the gospel it just said the news about them keeps spreading further and further and further away. When you read through some of the epistles you see Paul writing back and saying we're hearing reports about you and what you're proclaiming, what it is that you're doing. Their faith was going forward as we talked about this morning. And for Romans Paul was giving thanks to the believers there at Rome because their faith was being proclaimed throughout the world. This is how it was through word of mouth. But also we see they use public forums at times as well. Go over to the book of Acts for a moment to Acts chapter 17. Go to Acts chapter 17. In Acts 17 you have the apostle Paul in verse 16 he's here in Athens and as he's walking around the city it's just full of idols and he is just being provoked within himself and it says in 17 that he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God fearing Gentiles but he was also going into the marketplace a place where people would gather Every day with those who just happened to be present. And he was proclaiming the gospel to them. Until eventually they invite him to come to the Areopagus there in verse 22. And he goes there in this public setting and he proclaims the true gospel. He proclaims the true God. He'd been walking around that city and he had seen this one little statue that they had just to cover all their bases. They had all these different statues to all these different gods, but in case they missed somebody, they put a statue out there that said, to the unknown God. And Paul picked that out and he said, let me tell you, about the unknown God because you don't know the one true and living God. And he proclaimed Jesus to them. He used the the public settings of that day. Also, when you think about the media in, in that sense, you can just even think about the letters that were written. The Gospel of John, as I said to you before, over in John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31, there where John speaks about There are so many other things that I could have written to you about the things that Jesus did. But all the books in the world really couldn't contain all the miracles and all the ministry that he did during this short period of time. But I wrote these things so that you may believe. You may believe in Christ and that you may have eternal life. Or you could go over to the book of the Gospel of Luke, where Luke says he did this intensive thorough, extensive investigation into the things that had been written and said about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he did that, he put this together that we know to be the gospel of Luke. And he put it together so that this person could understand the exact truth about Christ. They were using the means that were there, the media that was there of their day. And so, beloved, what I would encourage you to think about is for you to take advantage of the media that we have in our day. That is, you can use CDs, you can use the sermon audio that's on the internet, you can use books, you can use tracks, we have our our radio program, you have different avenues and mediums that we have to get this message out that we want to get out of the gospel. Take advantage of it. They did in the New Testament. So take advantage of the media that we have access to today and use it for the glory of God. Maybe if you have somebody you're talking to and trying to get them to understand uh, the gospel more and maybe you're struggling when trying to explain some things, look, get a good track and go through the track with them. But maybe just say, hey, look, listen to our our Sunday service. It's online. Go and listen to it. And let's just talk about that. Let's talk about what the pastor was saying. And did you hear him speak about, and you can jot down notes and things you want to reference to them and help them to understand. Use what is available for us. Thirdly, They also evangelize through what I call their meetings. Their meetings. By that I mean, simple as, just people who just came across their life. People that they met. People that came up to them. Again, we can go back to the Lord Jesus himself and see this. And see Jesus when he came to get a drink of water there. And the woman at the well that he strikes up a conversation with her. Of course, she is curious that he, being a Jew, is willing to talk to her, but he uses that opportunity to tell her the gospel, to proclaim the good news of salvation to her. What about the rich young ruler that came up to Jesus, asking him about salvation, what he needed to do to have eternal life? I want to encourage you to think about sometimes these providential encounters that God brings your way, and people that you meet, that you can have the opportunity to share the gospel with to start talking with them about God and about their need of Christ, or maybe you can go over and think about the Ethiopian eunuch over in the Book of Acts in Acts chapter eight that Philip helped bring to the Lord Jesus. You remember that? Just think about it. this is somebody, and maybe you have somebody in your life that's just like this Ethiopian eunuch. They're curious. They're curious about the Lord. They're curious about the Bible, and and they have some interest in that, and, and maybe they're starting to read some things, and they're starting to think about some things. And this Ethiopian eunuch was someone that was like that, and then God brings Philip alongside of this Ethiopian eunuch, and as he's reading something, he says, do you understand what it is you're reading? And he says, well, how can I understand it? And Philip comes alongside of him, and spends time with him, and begins to proclaim the gospel, and explain the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ it was right there in that passage. Look for those kind of opportunities. Look for those kind of meetings. But also we'd have what I'd call home meetings. If you will for a moment, turn over in your Bible to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 20. Go to Acts chapter 20 for a moment. Paul is meeting again with the elders of the church at Ephesus in verse 17. And he's reminding them of verse 18 of how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and I taught you From house to house. And here's what he was doing. He was solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was willing to go and meet and have house meetings and sit down with people and talk with them about the gospel and tell them they needed to repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this in our introduction to the book of Philippians in Acts chapter 16. That Paul spoke to the household of Lydia. It was Paul that was brought by the jailer to his house. Where he proclaimed the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to that household. And that household came to know Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. Or Peter over in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius sent for him and he comes to the home of Cornelius and he goes in and he proclaims the gospel to him and he gets saved and his household gets saved. You also have what I would call religious meetings. Religious meetings and that is... We see a pattern that they would go, Paul and Jesus himself would both go into the the synagogues to proclaim the gospel. For example, over in Acts chapter 14 and verse 1, it says that in, in Iconium they entered, that is Paul and Barnabas, entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both of Jews and of Greeks. And then we see over in verse, in chapter 17, and when he comes into Thessalonica, that he does the same thing as it was his custom, it says in verse 2. According to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul looked for opportunities where he could go and proclaim the gospel. He looked for meetings where he could do that. But also, beloved, when we think about through the meetings that we can have, also social meetings, fellowship meetings. For an example, turn over to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 5. Go to Luke chapter 5. In verse 27, we have the calling and the salvation of Levi, also known as Matthew. It says after that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, "Follow me." And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. But notice what Levi does. He gives a big party He has a big social gathering at his house. And this gathering isn't just to come have fun. This gathering was for the purpose of evangelism. This gathering was for the purpose of Levi's friends. Remember, he's a tax collector. He is somebody who who was a Jew who had been a traitor to his own people because he was making money off their own backs. And... He knows these are the people that he hangs out with because he had been excommunicated from the Jewish community. He wasn't allowed to go into the synagogues to worship. You ever think about that whenever Jesus says there in Matthew 18, if your brother sins, go and... Speak to him in private. And if he, hears, if he hears and listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't, go and get two or three witnesses and bring them there to go and speak to him. And if he doesn't listen to him, then go tell it to the church and tell the church to come and to pursue him. And he says, and if he doesn't live, live, listen to him, he says, now treat him like a tax collector. Treat him like one of those. And here it is. This is what, these, these are the people that Levi had been around. And Levi has gotten saved. Levi has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his heart is just on fire for Christ. And in verse 29 it tells us he gave a big reception for him, that is for Jesus. This is about Jesus. And he gave it for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. Now Jesus wasn't there just to go have a good time. Jesus was there to proclaim the gospel. Jesus was there to call them to himself. That's why it says when you go down, when he's beginning to be questioned by the Pharisees, and Jesus says to them, beginning there in verse 31, he says, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That's why Jesus was there. Jesus was there to call these sinners to repentance. That's why Levi had this party for Jesus and had his friends, this great crowd to come because he wanted them to hear the good news. Because see, they were just like Levi. They had been told by the religious community of their day you have no hope. You have no opportunity for salvation. You have been cut off. You are good. You are gone. You are just as much dead before God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, oh no, I offer you salvation. I offer you grace. I offer you mercy. You've got to follow me. That means you have to repent and turn from your sins and turn from your way of life and put your faith in me and be willing to surrender to me and commit your life to me. But this was, this was sweet Words of music to the ears of people like Levi because they, were, they had been told you're cut off and Jesus says you're not cut off if you will come by grace through faith. And this is why Levi knew these people needed to hear this most glorious message so he has this social gathering in his home for this purpose of seeing them coming to Christ. It's amazing when you think about the religious leaders because these tax collectors, these sinners, that is these people that were living these immoral lives were hanging around Jesus and they were actually being converted, which means they were being changed. But they didn't care. They didn't really care about that. That's why Jesus tells the story over in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 15, where he tells the story of the lost coin and, and the lost sheep, and, and remember, then he tells the story of the prodigal. And we won't walk through that whole story, but that story really was more about the Pharisees than it was about the tax collectors. It's not really as much about the younger son who's the prodigal, it's really about the older son. You say, why do you say that? Because when you look at the opening verses of that chapter, what starts this whole conversation is the Pharisees and the religious leaders coming to Jesus and they're grumbling and they're complaining because Jesus, you are receiving and welcoming these tax collectors and these sinners. And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. The story about a a father who had two sons and one of those sons one day basically went to his dad and said, I hate you. I really wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so bad. Will you go ahead and just give me my part of the inheritance? And the father gave it to him. And this is the picture of the tax collectors who went out and just blew all of their money This is the picture of the sinners that were living with loose living, immoral living. But yet they came to their senses. They hit rock bottom and they realized, I have a a father, I have a heavenly father that I can come to if I will repent. And remember he tells the story of the prodigal who comes and says, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. And the father welcomes them back and that picture there of the prodigal is the picture of these tax collectors and sinners who had gone astray and were treating God as though he were dead and now they're coming back in repentance and Jesus is there to welcome them. But the older brother is really representing those Pharisees because what's the older brother's response in the story? It's the same as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were grumbling and complaining and would have nothing to do with this. Jesus would invite them. They said, we don't want anything to do with this. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And we don't want to have anything to do with these sinners and these tax collectors. And that's what the older son does in the story. And if you've ever read, you ever look at that story, Jesus ends it in a way that really doesn't have the end. Because the story was not complete. If you remember, the older son in the story comes there, the father comes out and pleads with him Come in, come into my home, join us, join us. And he refused, he would not. But it just kind of leaves it hanging. Because the story was really for those religious leaders. First, the question was, now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That is, Jesus was saying, what are you going to do with me? And what are you going to do with God? And we know the end of the story. If Jesus would have finished the story, you know how the story would have ended? It would have ended with that older brother picking up a stick and beating his father to death right there in front of everybody. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They wouldn't repent of their sins. They wouldn't come to God. This is what Levi is throwing this party because he knows this is a group of people that are in need of Christ. And Jesus says, look, I'm not here to call the righteous, that is the self-righteous. I'm here to call those who know that they're sinners and in need of repentance. There were these social meetings. You could even say there were open air meetings. By open air, I mean go to the Sermon on the Mount. You could go to the day of Pentecost. You could even go back in the Old Testament to the prophet Jonah that walked throughout the city of Nineveh proclaiming repentance, turn to God, and that city came to know God and turning from their sins. Also, there was the meeting of the worship services in the New Testament churches if you will for a moment, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is in the context of Paul addressing the issue of spiritual gifts. It starts in chapter 12. He's, he's urging, pleading with them to pursue love. But the church at Corinth, just they had so many problems and one of them was just uh, confusion. Confusion in their worship services. And that's why Paul was reminding them that everything they did needed to be for the purpose of edification. And he says there beginning in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, Therefore if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues in an ungifted Ungifted men or unbelievers, okay? So now you have unbelievers that have now come into the service. And if all they hear, in verse 23, are just people speaking in tongues, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters. He is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. So you see they recognized the primarily beloved the worship service when they gathered together there at the church at Corinth. What Paul was teaching was the primary purpose of their gathering there together was to worship God for their own edification. But as they did that and they were also proclaiming the gospel and talking about Christ unbelievers could be there and if they were there if they're hearing prophecy which was divine revelation that they could understand that they could possibly come to know the Lord That is, they could be had the secrets of their heart disclosed and fall on their face and worshiping God, being convicted by what it is they would be hearing, and know that they are being called to account. So, this was a part of the the way that people were coming to Christ. This was some of the medium here. The, these meetings that we're speaking about, we see in the in the Word of God. So for us today, beloved, when we're thinking about meetings, I would encourage you. Obviously, we worship services, um, open air events, social gatherings, home Bible studies, personal Bible studies with others, just people who come across. Your life, house to house, just being attentive to people that you hear that are beginning to show some interest in spiritual things or interest in the Word of God and take advantage of that and and go to them and come alongside of them. If you need help with that, if you if you find that you right now you're thinking of somebody right now in your mind, there's somebody I I know that that I could come alongside of and I could help with this. Well, if you need some help, come to me and I look to give you some resources you can walk through with them. They could come to know Christ. So they did it through their meetings as well. But let me give you one other medium that that it was used, and I call it through the missionaries. Through the people that they sent out or they helped to send out to proclaim the good news. First, we see this with Jesus himself. Jesus sent out the 12. Then later on, he sends out 70 to go out throughout the different communities and proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom of God. We also see this in the book of Acts and in fact I want you to turn there with me for a moment go over to Acts chapter 13 for a moment Acts chapter 13 and in the opening verse we see that they were there at, the, at Antioch in the church and in verse 2 while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And this is the first, now the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. He was being sent out by the church there at Antioch. So one of the avenues that they used to reach the world because they knew what was their mission. Their mission was to go and to make disciples of all the nations and they knew they couldn't all go do that but God had his hand on the man by the name of Paul and so they recognized that by the Holy Spirit and they send him out and they send Barnabas out and they begin to go out through other areas of the, of the region and they're proclaiming the gospel and they're seeing people come to know Christ and they're beginning churches and then they would come back and they report back to the church at Antioch what it is that God had done then they would go back to those churches and strengthen them again and go even further to different places to proclaim the gospel then they came back to the church there at Antioch and reported what it is God was doing and then they go out again this was an avenue they used but also, beloved, it's something we can even do as individuals. It's just helping out those that are going about sharing the gospel. Look over with me. Go to the back of your Bible to the book of Third John. Go to Third John for just a moment. The book of Third John. where John is commending a man by the name of Gaius. Because in verse 5 he says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers and they have testified to your love before the church. You would do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Why? For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from The Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. You see, when you support missionaries. When we support those who go about proclaiming the gospel, as as he says here, which you ought to do. and Remember, we spoke about that this morning, that idea of what we ought to do. It means it is a moral imperative that God gives us. This is what we are morally required to do as believers, support those who go out for the sake of his name, proclaiming the gospel. We are to support such men we're to receive them and then we're to, to support them. Because as we do this, we become fellow workers with the truth. We are there. This is a way that we participate in the gospel. We participate in the spreading of the gospel. This is a way that we participate in evangelizing this world, evangelizing other areas. We're fellow workers with the truth. Well we see this with the Apostle Paul in the church there at Philippi that we're we're studying on Sunday mornings. That Paul, one of the reasons why he says that he he can pray for them and he has confidence in them Uh, about what God's doing in their heart. It's their participation in the gospel. And one of the ways they are participating in the gospel is that this is a church that faithfully has looked for opportunities to support him as he's gone about proclaiming the gospel. So for us, the application is, it's just look for opportunities, especially for us as a church, look for opportunities to support those who are going about proclaiming the gospel. Now, we want to make sure that those that we're supporting are doing things in the way that we would say they should be doing it. In fact, let me just say this as we kind of just wrap this up tonight. This goes for really every area that we've talked about. Whether it's in the meetings, whether it's through the media that we use, or whether it's through the missionaries that we support. Always remember our mission. That is, we want to make sure that they are true to the mission. They're true to the message. They're true to those means. They're true to those methods. They're true to those marriages. They're true even to their measurements. Because we have a responsibility to be good stewards of what God has given us. So if I'm going to go out and use a tract to evangelize somebody, I want to make sure that tract fits with the message that we understand to be the gospel. There are some tracts out there, beloved, there's some resources out there that aren't really giving the whole message and you don't want to use that. There are some out there on the missionary field you don't want to support because they're not being faithful to The message, to the means, to the method. We are to remember this in all of these ways. And so, what I want to encourage you to do is just keep praying for people, keep pursuing holiness in your life, and keep. Proclaiming the gospel. Or if you need to say this, start proclaiming the gospel. Just start looking for opportunities to talk with someone about Jesus. And look, remember the measuring stick. The measuring stick, when God brings you before the judgment seat of Christ, isn't going to be, well, how many did you see come to know Christ? The measuring stick is going to be, were you faithful? Were you faithful to my mandate? Were you faithful to my message? Were you faithful to my mission? Were you faithful to the means, the method? Were you just faithful? Remember, go back to the illustration that we referred to last time on this subject of Jesus and the sower and the seed. The sower is the same. The seed is the same. The only thing that's different there is what? The soul. And even when that sower goes out and sows the seed, sometimes it it brings in a harvest of 30, sometimes of 60, sometimes of 90, sometimes of more. But God's not gonna look at that and say, well, the, the sower that went out and had the 120 It's been more faithful than the one who has received the 30. No, because the sower had nothing to do with it. He just went out and faithfully proclaimed the gospel, prayed for that gospel to take effect in their heart, trusting God to work in them, calling them to Christ, just urging them to come to Christ, but knowing that, remember, the spirit in the scriptures that has to do that work in their heart. So understand the measuring of this, because if you don't, let me just help you with this. Again, if you don't, as you go out to tell people about Jesus, look, you're going to suffer some rejection. You're going to have people that are going to turn away from it and you might get discouraged And I just want to encourage you, just keep on keeping on. Just keep praying. Keep pursuing holiness. Keep proclaiming the gospel. Don't change your mission. Don't change your message. Don't change your means and your methods. Don't change that just keep on keeping on because if you, if you ever struggle with that just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and just keep reading it because if you keep reading it you're going to see where Paul says the power of the gospel is what's going to bring about their salvation and he knew when he went out to proclaim that gospel that the Jews were going to receive this and just this would be a stumbling block to them and to the Greeks that is the Gentiles it would just seem to be moronic It would seem to be foolish for this. But Paul knew that the gospel could penetrate through that and it could get to their heart to open their heart and he just kept staying faithful to the message. Just stay faithful to it. Don't step back. Just stay faithful. Just keep on keeping on. And just trust God to work. Just keep trusting Him. Oh, beloved, if we said the other night, if you're not seeing people come to Christ, how that should hit your heart is it should, it should break your heart. It should cause you to get on your face before God and crying out to God. Oh, God, open their eyes. Open their eyes. Let them see. Let them know, Lord, that they may put their faith in you. They may come to you. Just do a work in their hearts. Beloved, as we close out our time tonight, I want to ask you at this moment to just bow your head in prayer for just a moment.